and welcome to Saturday at 3. Today we're reacting to the Rangers AGM. I'll be talking to both Chris and Stevie from Four Lads to get their reactions on uh, the AGM, how it went and uh, how well they felt the uh, directors and manager answered the questions that were put to them. Uh, first up is uh, the voice you normally hear at Start These Pods. It's Chris. How you doing, man? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad, Andrew. Thanks very much. Jolly good. And uh, Stevie, it's a rare pleasure to have you, mate. How are you doing? Yeah, fine, thanks, Andrew. Thanks for having us on. I've finished my Empire Biscuit and I'm ready to go. <laughs> Thank you. Chris, I'll come to you first, mate. Um, I think this might be the first time you were at one of our AGMs. Uh, how was the experience as a whole for you? Yeah, it was It was uh, pretty interesting. Um, you're right, it's the very first time I've ever been to one. Um, and I don't think it's any coincidence that I was looking to obviously attend this one um, with all the noise around it. Stevie, uh, me and Stevie travelled together um, to it and fro- from it and Stevie kind of uh, lessened my expectations a little bit by saying don't expect fireworks um, and to be honest it was right. Stevie you're a bit of a hand at this then and uh, so uh, yeah what, what was your view? Um, how does it compare to some of the previous ones that we've had? Well I think that a lot of people go to these things and they expect fireworks and they expect basically confrontation and, and demanding answers and things like that and it's never ever like that. It's always pretty mundane. It's always pretty, you know, self-serving in terms of questions and things like that. So I think that this one was no different. You know, it's obviously a tight spot that the club was in. There was a, a slightly more level of 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 kind of, you know, aggression towards, you know, a couple of the questions regarding our signings and, and things like that. But all in all, I think that, you know, the board will probably consider themselves to have gotten away quite lately um, with some of the, the level of, of intrigue and questions and, and things like that. But sure, we can come on to that in a, in a minute and discuss that a wee bit further. But in terms of where it ranks, you know, I, I've, I've been to AGMs where there's been a tent in the middle of the pitch and it's been almost, you know, a battle. And that's been the closest to, to what we've ever seen, I think, at a Rangers AGM of it getting out of control. But I thought it was interesting. I thought it was informative. Um, there's a lot of, of you know, thought-provoking stuff that he came away from. There's a lot of good stuff that the club are doing as well. So uh, certainly a, a lot to, to mull over, so to speak. If I could just add, um, seeing that that's a really interesting point for me uh, in terms of how the club has ru- uh, been run as a business. I probably haven't taken much from that in terms of what I already didn't know. The, the board are doing a decent to a good job they're putting the money up and they're investing in infrastructure and ultimately we are now a profitable club um, or business if you want to use that term the the auditors uh, don't see as as being a, a risk um anymore which they previously did do um purely because of the, the the increase in revenue and then obviously next year it's been confirmed that revenue will be just around the same, a wee bit less possibly, but obviously with the Basse deal and the uh, Arebo deal and Champions League football, we are no longer at risk of being uh, not a going concern, if, if you will. But in terms of the football department, the, the thing that really matters as a fan, none, I don't know how you feel, Stevie, but none of my fears were really eased at all, if any. Um, I probably still have the same anxiety leaving the AGM as I did before I entered it. And that, for me, is the the issue, really. Well, it's an interesting point, but I think that, as, as we're going to discuss what was actually said, I think my anxiety levels are probably worse than what I went on with, especially when you consider what Douglas Park had to say about the contractual situations. He more or less shut that possibility down which we'll come to. But with regards to the, the questions that were asked about the player trading model, etc., he's going to obviously defend his position and try and explain things. And and we as a fan base kind of come across as, as, as being, you know, inquisitive. But it's there was a different tone towards Ross Wilson today. I think it's quite clear that people think that the recruitment hasn't been good enough. People think the contractual situation isn't good enough. When Stuart Robertson, he was asked a question, the board, do you back... Um, Ross Wilson and, and his activity here, Stuart Robertson unanimously gave a very quick yes from on behalf of all the board and said that the, the club's position 
from the three years since Ross Wilson had come in and dramatically improved. You could audibly hear, and Chris will be able to back me up on this, a response from the crowd of murmurings as if to say, not sure we agree with that. So Ross Wilson would go on and explain that he felt that the, the squad and the position of the squad, we need to get more out of, obviously, because second isn't good enough. But I'm not sure that you're ever going to get in a position, maybe on Chris, on your point, that you would come away from something being, you know, feeling better or, or him trying to explain it. His point of view today was that, you know, it's not all on him the way it's been projected. And I think that was quite clear, the message he was trying to get across. Perhaps people don't understand his role. And under and I get that point of view from him sitting there. But the main takeaway from today in terms of the squad and, and what you're saying was undoubtedly um, the chairman's comments on Ryan Kent and Alfredo Morello's contract situation, which, you know, in, in terms of them staying, it, it kind of sounds pretty bleak. Well, let's um, let's do a quick run through from for what the uh, directors talked about then, and we'll come on to some of the individual um, points later on. I think it's worth um, pointing out the kind of reception that directors and then the manager got when they were first uh, brought onto stage. Um, by all accounts, both the directors and the ma- and the new manager both got a very good reception um, coming out. And there was a uh, presentation that was given around the new disabled facilities, followed by the Q&A. In terms of that presentation, then, because I think it covered a lot of the financials as well. Chris, you you said earlier that you kind of you didn't learn too much new there. Um, But I think the uh, the specifics around the disabled facilities, at least, which coincidentally just got announced a couple of I think yesterday. um, You know, what what was your take on that? What was your kind of reaction to um, to seeing all of that? Well, it doesn't come as a surprise. The the board committed to um, having this in place by the next AGM at the previous one last year. So um, they had a year to come up with us. And to be honest with you, Andrew, it, it is pretty impressive, the, the plans. You know, it's, it's quite radical plans. Um, Ibrox is obviously a very old stadium, so there's not much scope there to modernise it. And they've done their best within the, the restrictions that they, they currently have. So... Um, from what I was led to believe before I seen the presentation was that there'd be a reduction in capacity, whereas the actual overall plan there would be an increase in capacity, albeit just under a thousand. So if that all comes to plan and all comes together, then uh, everybody's a winner. However, there will be some short term pain um, in terms of there will be a, a, a temporary reduction um, because the disabled facilities uh, obviously get moved uh, in the, the Brimlin and the Copeland, some season ticket holders will ha- have to lose their seat, which then has an impact on finance. Um, Andrew Dixon said that that would be around half a million a year that they would lose uh, from from season ticket revenue. So that the, the club have to quickly then look to getting those extra seats in. Um, and obviously, I can understand that the fans who potentially could lose their ticket are pissed off by that, and I, I have seen some dissent. Uh, on Twitter, but again, Twitter isn't always a, a barometer, but um, I can understand the dissent there. But at the end of the day, the alternative is to put disabled supporters in a section where they're getting literally uh, soaked um, when it's raining, freezing, when it's just, you know, winter weather, and it's not the best viewing experience for them, so we, we do have to do more for them. Um and, and ultimately, we are heading in the right direction there. It just will be a wee bit of, I don't want to say short-term pain for long-term gain, but it is sort of that because, as I said, people will lose their seats, but eventually they will get them back with, with the new seats. But there, there is obviously a caveat there that there is a, a funding gap that needs to be met. The, from what I took from it, the directors are willing to meet it, but they're going to explore other avenues um, to, to raise those funds, whether it be share issues or, or, or maybe other incentives, like, you know, 10-year season tickets or something. Um, that that wasn't a, a direct quote from any directors. It's just pure speculation on my part, but they will explore funding um, uh, funding opportunities to, to obviously make that happen. So hopefully they can do it as quick as possible. They didn't give us a time frame. Um, but you know, it's it, I would I would say on the whole that's uh that it was it was fairly positive for me. I don't know. I, I think Steve would probably agree with me. I don't know if you picked anything else up there that I missed, uh, Stephen. No, um, I would look. I 
I would back what you would say as as well, Chris. I I found it to be something that we can be proud of as a as a club with regards to the facilities. I think it's about time that, that we brought ourselves, you know, modernised that situation, made it more accessible for um, the the disabled supporters that come to the stadium. And what we are doing is pretty impressive. Yes, I, I agree with Chris in terms of you're losing possibly three, four rows from the, the back of the, each of the three stands, not including the main stand. And then you're, you're modernising that. But the possibility to then extend the front of the, the Copeland and Broomwood rears and, and make them, you know, more capacity-wise, we would end up gaining the best part of 700-odd seats. So getting funding for that is key. And, and bringing ourselves, modernising the club and giving a proper platform and proper areas for disabled supporters access is, is vitally important, in my opinion. So very proud of that side of it from the club's point of view that that's what we're doing. It does seem like it could look very smart and it could be, you know, it would grow the attraction of, of the actual stadium on the eyes as well. So the way that the you're losing potentially something the back but gaining from the front People losing their season tickets might argue they've got a great seat, but potentially the the new seats that are available, Chris, you know, at the front of, of both stands, I think they could be cracking seats to sit in as well. So hopefully, you know, because let's let's be honest, they, they've said that it still requires to be passed and they're looking to get funding, etc. for that. So that's obviously going to come from the um the investors. So we need to make sure that that's available and we and we can do it. But if all works out, it should take the capacity up to, you know, nearly 52,000, which is another positive. So the short-term financial losses, they'll be able to catch up with, with new season tickets and things. So all in all, it's a really interesting presentation that it is available to watch online. And I would encourage people to go and have a look at it because it is a very... It is a very forward-thinking plan from the club and it is something that I feel that we can can be proud of and and kind of welcome as um, an addition going forward. It, it has been long overdue, as Chris says, that the disabled facilities at the moment aren't the best, but this is modern, lifts to the seats, um, good vantage point, weather friendly, and it's just, you know, it's, we're looking after our supporters, which is something that we should always do. And hopefully, having addressed that, the club will then take the next step and, and look at safe standing and and modernise, um, you know, the, the fan day experience for for other supporters as well. So that's important that, that all fans are, are listened to and hopefully this is a step going forward that way. No, for sure. Um, they uh, The directors then moved on to the uh, kind of financial highlights, um, uh, kind of brief uh, summary of that. Uh, 82% increase in revenue from the prior year, um, first operating profit in five years and a 28 million pound swing in operating profit from last year that doesn't include the uh, batty or arebo sales or the european prize money so that's still to come um and uh, i think as you alluded to earlier chris for the first time in 10 years the auditors of the club are comfortable about the ongoing ability of the club uh, to go forward as a going concern um so the material uncertainty qualification has been removed um so that's all positive in terms of the uh, kind of financial picture um but there was a bit that kind of put uh rangers into perspective where we sit kind of in terms of the wider football market norwich city um my old alumni club uh generated double in revenue what rangers generated last year they also finished last in the epl while we were in the european uh the europa league final so i think it kind of puts into perspective the kind of markets that we're having to operate in uh with the uh the neighbors that rangers have to the south in terms of you know how difficult it can be um but all in all, I mean, from a financial perspective, uh, the numbers certainly look a lot more positive uh, this year than they did last year. And I believe that that was projected to be the case going forward as well. Obviously, with that, you know, Bassi Naribo money and the Euro the European prize money going in there as well, both the Europa League and then the Champions League as well. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, again, me and Steve have discussed this. By no means are we fi- uh, finance experts, so we can't really pass comment other than, yeah, it's positive um, and it's, we're, we're heading in the right direction. 
the what I will say is um, going back to the, the the football side of things is we obviously don't have a pot of gold the way that Norwich do, um, which was the example. So for me, um, again, don't know if Stevie agrees or not, but that's we we then have to ensure that we spend our money far more be far more clever we are spending and we have to make sure that we get absolute bang for our buck with every obviously it's impossible to get every player right but we have to get more right than we get wrong and that's where it's fundamentally fallen short certainly in the last 12 months um so it's all very well saying yeah but look what Norwich get so that means that the, the very little money that we do have we just have to ensure the best that we can through analysis, scouting, data, that the players that we do bring in do contribute to the team and, and benefit the team, um, obviously short term and long term. And, uh, you know, without, I know this is probably a different argument because it's just the AGM, but I just don't think we're getting that at the moment. And that is why Stevie alluded to the hostile um, reception and questions that, that Ross Wilson was getting to the. Yeah, for sure. I think a couple more numbers to throw out. Um, There was actually less investment in terms of transfer fees paid out, um, down from 18 million in 2021 to just 10.7 million, 21-22. But the wage bill went up by um, by about 4 million quid. So I think it, it kind of demonstrates that we weren't bringing a lot of players in. We were just making sure that the existing players we had were more comfortable. Um, But, you know, we... um, we did see kind of an increase in terms of cash in the bank as well from 2.9 million back in 2018 to 13.1 million. So uh, it's, it's fair to say that there was, there's been some, you know, uplift in terms of the finances. But I think, as you say, Chris, there's a, there's a massive need to box clever. Um, Out of the financial presentation and as, uh, as Steve said earlier, I'd encourage people to look this out. It's on the Rangers YouTube page. You know, highly recommend watching that. Um, you don't need to get our secondhand views. You can get it directly from them. And then we hope you come back and, you know, listen to our ramblings about it. Um, I think after that financial presentation, we then had uh, Michael Beale was up. Um, Steve, can you get a kind of give us a taste of the reaction that he got and, uh, you know, what he um, what he was saying at the AGM? His reaction was very good. I think that the whole room, certainly behind him, he got a very warm welcome and very warm applause from the, the group. Um, what he said was basically what he'd been saying previously. He wants this, this club to take the handbrake off. He wants to get his um, ideas and identity over to the, the players on the pitch. He wants them to play attacking football. He wants teams to adapt to Rangers rather than Rangers adapting to teams. And he wants to impress and excite not only the players, because the players have to buy into it, but also the fans that come and watch it. So it was very encouraging. You know, Michael Beale knows how to answer now. He's got enough experience. Like, he knows what we want. He knows what excites people. He, he knows the right things to say. So he, he 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 stated that he had no bold statements to make. There was no big shouts of, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Full focus on Hibs on the 15th, and he simply wants this club to go and attack and win games and excite people. He said again, he used the phrase that he wants to take the handbrake off, and that's that's you know interesting because it's more than once he's talked about getting a proper identity into these players, players having to understand what they're doing, um, getting a proper um, look about Rangers on the pitch and, and attacking. So these are all things that we've spoken about in, in for the last few months are all things that we've highlighted and that we've come across and, and we've made the point of, of saying. So it's interesting that Michael Beale, although it will never come out and say it, he might think the same things that we have, having watched this team in the last few months. And the things that you're saying is certainly the things that we want to hear. So he spoke very well. He, he, he As I said, he was very assured there was no big bold statements there was no you know we're going to do this we're going to win this it's it was all basically this is what I want to try and do and this is this is how we're going to do it so it was interesting he also I thought very um he was he was very nice when he spoke about Giovanni Van Bronckhorst said he was a man of, of real class and had done a tremendous job taking the club to a European final in the last year and he was very sad 
about how it worked out for him. Also spoke favourably about Steven Gerrard, the job that he had done, learning from him and and um, and him obviously bringing him here, which has afforded him the opportunity now. So, listen, it, it's it's kind of a different point, but I'm I'm fully on board with um with Michael Beale, how he speaks, how he leads himself, how he conducts himself as as Rangers manager, and he's only been here a week, so it may seem a silly thing to say, but. Everything that comes out of his mouth, you can get behind and you, you can understand and, and um, kind of resonate with. That's a good word. So I'm more than happy with, with how he spoke today. And and I'm pretty sure that Chris is, would agree that he was very well received. Yeah, I think it's worth saying, you know, he, he's brand new. I think he mentioned during uh, his statement that he'd only had six sessions with the team. So it's going to be interesting to see how that progresses when we start seeing his team out there on the pitch, how they behave, you know, if we're seeing stuff like something that's different. Um, it's going to be interesting for sure. Um, we then moved on to the Q&A. And uh, I think, Chris, the question that got asked first was a question that you've asked a few times on the podcast. Um, why were there no Dutch players signed when Gio was the manager? Um, Chris, how, how do you think the answer to that went? Uh, well, First of all, when I was asking the question, it was more relevant because Giovanni van Bronckhorst was actually the Rangers manager. So I feel that it's a bit of a wasted question um, in an AGM setting. If Gio was still the manager, I think it'd be more relevant. Um, Gio's now not the manager, but I suppose maybe the person who asked the question was just trying to get an insight into how we identify players. And from the answer... uh, given by Ross Wilson, I have to be brutally honest and say that I don't believe what he said. Um, he reported, um, obviously, sorry, what he says we need to report, um, but we, we're allowed an opinion. Stevie might have a completely different opinion from me. Um, Andrew, you might have a completely different opinion from me, but Ross Wilson says that the manager identifies the players. And um, I think he actually used the quote, Ross Wilson doesn't sign football players. Now, that could be taken in many ways, um, but nah, it's not for me. Um, he did say that Gio identified one Dutch player that they agreed terms with, but in the summer he changed his mind and and went to a, a different club. Could you know speculation about that could be um, obviously Doherty, the, the defender, maybe Javi Simmons, another name Stevie gave. Um, it doesn't matter because he didn't sign, but there was only one Dutch player identified um, by Gio, according to to Ross Wilson. And uh, Andrew, as I said, I just simply don't believe that to be the case um, going forward do I believe that Michael Beale will do more of the identifying I do yes under Gio I just don't think he got a fair crack at the whip when it came to transfers um, and I don't think anything Ross Wilson says really will will, will have will change my mind on that opinion but as I said it's it, it's just an opinion Stephen uh, might have a different opinion than me Andrew you may have a different opinion than me but that's how I took it uh, Stevie how, how did you take that one Um, I, I don't honestly. I, I didn't take much from it at all when he says, you know, that Ross Wilson doesn't sign. There was how do I put this? I'm not trying to be critical of Ross Wilson, but he was trying to justify more than he was asking the question or answering the question. So he was he was obviously they were a bit more pointed towards them. I'd, I'd said that at the start, but when he said that Ross Wilson. You know, doesn't sign players. I think that's his way of saying that, or trying to say that he doesn't make fight. He doesn't put players on the manager. But the question regarding you know lack of Dutch players, etc., it's a, it's a fair one because we've whether it's a correct one is is another is another point. But a lot of people have asked that in the last year and said, you know, when do you get a Dutch manager that's not brought in any Dutch players? So whether we believe what Ross Wilson is saying or not, we have to take it at face value. So they had one deal lined up, you know, it was ready to go and he signed for somebody else. Fair enough, whoever that may be. But I don't believe, I, I still don't believe that Van Bronckhurst was was able to completely recruit the, the players that he wanted to, but that's not, that's not maybe how it works. And I'm, I've kind of, I've slightly changed my, my stance on that um, because of the assurances that Michael Beale has given me. So that was something that we, we've obviously covered. And, and Michael Beale said extensively that he will have the final say. He will be able to identify players and he will be, you know, working a lot more closely with, with Ross Wilson. So that was interesting whether or not, you know, 
we, we can read into that and people can read in answers all sorts of ways. But I was a bit more enthusiastic on that. Ross Wilson for me, and he was asked directly as well about you know his recruitment and things like that. I still think there's major questions over his his job role and his recruitment and, and things like that. And saying that Ross Wilson doesn't sign players, you know, I, I get that and I get the point he's trying to make. So going back to what you said, Chris, I feel that instead of taking the the points on that were being made, he was trying to justify things instead of answering them, but. That's just my take on that, Chris. I'm not sure whether or not that, that's completely fair or correct. People might listen to it and say, no, Stevie, it's, it's maybe wrong. But that's the way I took it uh, from him today, more than giving us answers he was justifying his own position. Well, that's it, Stevie. For me, um, he's clearly not got the majority of fans on side. So his approach to this uh, AGM and to a certain extent his approach to the press conference, which you attended with uh, Michael Beale, is the wrong approach to take. It's almost an arrogant approach. If he doesn't sign certain players, or if he doesn't identify certain players, or if we don't understand his job role, tell us. Tell us what it is you do. Hold your hands up to the mistakes you've made. Promise us that you'll try to do better. And then it'll get more of his on side. But this justification of these poor decisions that have been made on a consistent basis just won't wash and it's why he's losing support at a, a rate that really um, would suggest that he's, he's, his role should be untenable but it's not and that's that's the problem we've got. He knows he's got he knows almost that he's bulletproof and that's from a board perspective not a fan perspective the fans opinion of Ross Wilson doesn't really count when he's got the backing of the guys who pay his wages and if Ross Wilson is just a wee bit more humble and a wee bit more open and honest with us now I'm not calling him a liar but this defensive um, strategy that he's got this defensive uh, approach to his role it's just not going to wash we're not stupid you know what I mean we're Rangers fans well well I would like to think that we're fairly educated when it comes to watching Rangers players playing for Rangers and we understand that some signings haven't been good enough, some signings haven't worked, and that's the nature of football. What we want to know is why is it happening more often than not? What's the process there? And then, Ross, if it's not fully your job, tell us what your job is so that we can actually cut you some slack. But the whole defensive nature of his his answers, I would probably go out a limb here and say it's probably put some people who were in support of him against him. Um, because I, I just, I think it's a wee bit Talking down to us, a wee bit arrogant, and it's not what we're looking for. But we're looking for, we're looking for answers from Ross Wilson today, and I feel that we get more questions than answers from him. No, I think that's fair. Um, it'll be interesting to see how it goes, um, and interesting to see how um, how Beale works with with Ross Wilson going forward as well. Um, certainly, I don't think Michael Beale is the kind of manager to step into a role certainly something as high profile as this something that clearly means that much to him personally without having certain assurances around you know what his say on player transfers etc will be so it's going to be interesting to see how that as a situation kind of develops we um we had a question around the contract situation at the club uh, particularly around morelos and uh, and kent's contracts obviously uh, running down um that there was a kind of difference in view with the boards. They said that the contracts weren't being run down deliberately. Um, it's a case of the players needing to sign them. Um, Stevie, I'll come to you first. Um, but um, what was your kind of take on that on the board's answer to the contract situation? Well, Ross Wilson answered, and he was, you know, he, he gave an answer which is perfectly acceptable. It takes more than one person to, you know, make the contract work. It's got to be the player, it's got to be the agent, even the family's wives were mentioned. Then it's got to be the club. They've all got to work together to try and get that end product. This goes back to a wee bit about what we said before, Chris, about the answer. You know, and some of the answers we were getting. We understand that. We understand how it works, which is absolutely fine. But what what he's negating, and, and the big point from a lot of the fans is, we should have been conducting these conversations two years ago where we should have known, right, Ryan, you've got two years left in your contract, where are you sitting, what you want to do, we've just won the league, what's your position? Now, I don't like bringing this up, but you look at over the road, 
and they're about to sell players that aren't signing extensions that have got two and three years to go because it's maximum value. So this is the point of the question and why we're allowing assets to, to kind of slip down. So it's okay us being given an answer of, you know, blah, 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 it works. And we understand how it works. We're not silly. But it's it goes back to the old issue of are we properly planning and are we properly working this or are we winging it, which some people fear. From that answer, it basically said, you know, the club are still hopeful and, you know, everybody's still working together and, and the manager certainly wants players to stay. So that was the end of it. So a very pragmatic politician answer that you would expect. And then out of nowhere, Douglas Park added, he said, can I just add, Sometimes when you sit with people and you try to settle on a contract, their demands are simply too high. That was it. End of statement. Now, Chris and I both looked at each other and it was pretty obvious. And Chris, you you can maybe wade in at this point. But I certainly took from that point that they may have got to the point with both players where they're asking for too much money and there's no more leeway from the club. It certainly wasn't a positive outcome. It certainly wasn't something that left me sitting going, oh, great, they're going to sign. I don't think it was information that necessarily had to be shared. I'm not sure if it will cause wider issues because now the support are maybe going to, you know, once this hits the headlines, and I think this will be the headlines from today, once that happens, I think a lot of the fans will maybe think, are you money grabbers, are you this and that, which can cause more issues. I'm not certain Michael Beale would have certainly wanted that said, but... For me, it certainly didn't leave me feeling that there's much hope that either are going to sign new contracts, certainly on that one statement. The the two things uh, I would add to that is when, when he said it, there was almost an audible, you know, gasp um, within the, the auditorium. Uh, we were like, oh, shit. Um, because let's be honest, we all do want Kent to sign. Um, and I would probably say that we all, the vast majority is want Morelos to sign if he bucks up his ideals. And then when Douglas Park said that, we were all like, oh, oh, right, okay. And then I actually watched specifically this question being asked and, and answered by Douglas Park. Uh, well, sorry, firstly by Ross Wilson and Douglas Park interjecting. You actually see John Bennett putting his hands in his head when he, when he said it, um, which, yeah, I, I totally agree with you, Stevie. Bill will be probably a little bit pissed off about that. Um, his fellow directors will be like, mm, you didn't need to say that because I I, I do agree with you, Stevie, again, he didn't need to say it. However, um, I'm not going to criticise Douglas Park for this because um, I, I would be a hypocrite when I'm saying that I'm just looking for a wee bit of honesty. Aye, um, I was about to, sorry, Chris, I was about to say, but the only thing he's guilty of is being a little bit too honest, yep. not being fully aware of the footballing point of view yeah. compared to the business side of it. So again, it's not a criticism thing, but no. it was, and there was an audible, oh Jesus, from the whole room. Yeah. And it was certainly a surprising little tidbit that I don't think was necessary. It's going to cause more issues for me. Yeah, but um, <laughs> at least we know where we stand, really. I think that might be the point, you know, we're, we're expecting, as you said, Stevie, these aren't typically kind of explosive affairs. So to, to get that that level of honesty is, is maybe unexpected. Um, there, there are too many questions, I think, for us to cover on our podcast that we want you guys to be able to listen to in a reasonable amount of time. So um, we're not going to go through every single question that was asked um, again. We'd encourage you to check out the full thing if you're interested on the Rangers YouTube channel. So. Stevie, I wanted to come to you on this one. There are a couple of questions from uh, Club 1872 um, asking Douglas Park what his plan was to return to the club to successes often on the pitch. And then also if any further loans have been paid to John Bennett and Julian Walter um, out with the accounts period. Um, but, you know, what was your take on 1872? Because I think Douglas Park had a fairly, as we said earlier, kind of a, a more honest answer than I think we were expecting. The question was asked to John Bennett, basically as as any or or to the board rather to Douglas, as as anyone, you know, had their loans repaid and stuff like that. And John Bennett took it up and and spoke about it and basically said that yes, within the terms of the agreements which everybody knows about, loans have been repaid. 
Um, and you know the club are comfortable with that, and and everybody should be aware of it. He then went on to say that he'd provided a further ten million pound facility for the club, which I took as basically being just like an overdraft facility for the club to use at their discretion, which they can get them through the kind of fallow times was the exact term that he used, which basically means the months that we're not going to get much income, February, March, April, wait before the the season ticket renewal money comes in and that's traditionally where Europe might have helped but obviously not this season so that was that was I think a fair and, and a very warmly received as well when um, he spoke about that extra 10 million so that's um, that was the first part then they came back again Club 1872 and asked for a five-year plan from um, Douglas Park in, in terms of growing the business and growing the club which I feel was a really extensive question. It was possibly one that, that Douglas needs to to answer, but in a, in a small Q&A like this, it, I'm not sure that he could have given the, the answer that it properly deserved because you're asking you know, the, the chairman to basically outline the business plan for the club, which you know is, is fairly straightforward, growth, etc. But it's an extensive answer. He shortened it and he basically said, my five-year plan is to win as many games and as many trophies for this football club. Chris, I was going to come on to you next um, to discuss uh, a conversation you had about the Sydney uh, tournament. Now, th- this was uh, something that didn't get asked uh, during the Q&A period, um, but I believe you had a conversation separately about this. I did, yes. Um First of all, thanks to Stevie for obviously introducing me to James. Um, and I, I took I took the opportunity, as I always do, I'm, I'm an opportunist, um, to to ask him. So it was very impromptu. Um, but I have to say, uh, James spent five minutes with me discussing it. And um, I think it's important, uh, as a disclaimer, if you will, that although there is going to be, or there is now, an ongoing legal battle, um, I did say to James what you've told me today can I relay that back on the podcast is that going to get me into any trouble or Rangers into any trouble or even James himself into any trouble and he says no 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 it's fine Um, what I've told you today will have no ramifications on on that kind of legal matter so I just want to put that out there that I'm all trying to stitch James up I found James very very friendly, very warm. Uh, Stevie will totally back me up in that because obviously him and Stevie are are best of buddies now so essentially the first question I asked him was, look, I know your job is to bring money to the table. Um, so I do not blame you for for the, the Sydney carry-on. You explored an opportunity and that opportunity had to be signed off. So the first question I asked him was, who signed it off? We're told and not not just we're told, we all believe that the men on the board are Rangers men. And I actually qualified that by saying, look, James, I understand you're not a Rangers man in terms of you weren't brought up around the club and you probably didn't understand the club. And he quickly interrupted me and went, no, 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 I, I understand this club now, um, especially given the reaction to the Sydney friendly, um, which we'll come on to um, uh, later on in this conversation about how the what they've learned from this. Um, and he says, look, it was an error by everyone. We completely misjudged it. We completely misjudged the mood. Um, no one is solely accountable for signing us off because the whole board were in agreement and they just totally misjudged the mood um, and the feeling um, around how the the, the friendly was um, perceived. I then said that obviously the the elephant in the room with this friendly wasn't just the fact that we were going to play a friendly against Celtic. I actually think if we were playing a friendly against Celtic in Germany, for example, I still think there would have been a negative reaction to that because Rangers and Celtic do not play friendlies. It's as simple as that. Um, however, the elephant in the room is Ange Postecoglou. And I said, surely as a as a board and as a businessman and as a commercial director, it doesn't take much to work out that playing Celtic in Sydney when their manager is Australian and the whole of Australia are very proud of what Postecoglou has achieved, not just with Celtic, but you know since leaving Australia, surely you could have worked out that this was going to be a Postecoglou homecoming, a, a love fest, if you will. And he said that, yes, they, they identified that very quickly and it was one of the concerns that they had uh, before agreeing to this uh, tournament. 
but they had reassurances from the Sydney organisers that this would not be the case. It would not be the narrative wouldn't be the Ange homecoming or the land or the Ange love fest. It would be purely old fun, and the term old fun would be used. Um, and they had assurances, um, legal, legally binding assurances. I would presume, not confirmed, but I would presume that that, that it wouldn't be the Postecoglou loving. And uh, very quickly, it was the, as we know, the Ange Postecoglou loving. Um, and you know, that can we blame Rangers for that? No, because if they've had, if they've had assurances on that matter, then you have to imagine that Sydney, uh, the, the Sydney organisers would. Um, hold that end of the bargain up, but obviously they didn't. So my next point was Celtic leaked the details. Celtic jumped ahead of Rangers and obviously Celtic started selling tickets before the event was even announced. So Celtic basically made us look like fools. Um, you embarrassed us. I, I, I used this word. I said that the club embarrassed the fans by this. Why was it not identified that Celtic would do this to us? We know how they operate. These are all Rangers men, um, or the vast majority of our Rangers men. Why haven't you? Why didn't you identify that Celtic would steal a march on us to rub our nose in it and to make us look stupid? And he very honestly said to me that they completely overlooked that and it was a mistake. They'll learn from it and it will not happen again. Um, and from what I took from that, I, I want to make I want to make this clear. This is just my opinion. Um, we will never do business with Celtic ever again with anything like this. Um, that's what I've taken from it. And the learning curve for James Bisgrove personally is he understands Osmo and commercial deals in the future will be approached with the feelings of Rangers fans being at the forefront of those those deals. Um, and I have to say, he didn't have to be that honest. He could have just gave a very mundane... Um, vanilla answer of we made a mistake we're sorry won't happen again but he went into great detail and, and he gave me permission to share that and i have to say that i appreciate it um doesn't make me any less angry about it because as i as i said to james i don't blame james for bringing money to the table i blame the other guys rob maybe not even robertson but douglas park john bennett even the communications director at the time david graham huge rangers men huge and they overlooked fairly basic presumptions about how Celtic would act in this. And obviously the fact that um, we were effectively lied to by the promoters by by stating that, that it wouldn't be the post Chicago loving. Again, we can't really blame them for that, but certainly Celtic's conduct, we gave them far too much credit than they were due. Um, they, re- they reacted to this situation exactly how all of us as fans expected them to without any class or, or dignity um, and it made us all look silly uh, the board more so than anyone but I suppose from a fan's perspective I, I don't know Steve if you agree with us it wasn't so much being made to look silly it was just quite embarrassing um, which we could have done without I don't want to I don't want to get dragged into what what they do or, or what what their reaction was. Yeah, I understand what you're saying, but I think it's relevant to this point because that's what brought it all to a head. Yeah, what I would say is I think we were extremely naive and and made huge errors in that. And I think that as a club, I have made this point to them as well, that we have a very extensive fan base, we have a very extensive fan media. And if they were contemplating this, they could have opened it up and we could have broached the subject and they would have seen the reaction that it would have got to playing a friendly with with our nearest rivals anywhere. We we don't do that. We're not interested in friendly games. And and without getting into the politics and they, they did this and they said that, you know, that, that's all subjective to, to whatever. But I would simply say that we completely underestimated who we were dealing with and the, the likelihood of, of what would happen. I think we were blinded a wee bit by the money and and that's possibly the biggest issue. But £3 million for going over and playing a couple of games and stuff, I can see why it happens. I just think that we we need to deal with these situations a lot better and we need to be a lot smarter, which we weren't. James Bisgrove is a complete businessman. You know, he will think money first and all that, but he would have, I, I think the whole board were shocked 
by the reaction to to what happened. I don't think it was helpful to where we were at that time and things that were going on in the pitch either under Gio. So it's just that it's one that I really hope we'd learn from. And it goes it, it's, it's further, Chris, because it opened it up a wee bit more. And I think this, this goes back to where we are as a football club with regards to how we communicate with the fans and things like that. All it would take in was, you know, a simple couple of posts on on the various forums we have. Do you would you get behind this? If there's a possibility of this amount of money, would you do that? And it would have been adamant, and the reaction would have been so powerful that the club would have known, and it would never ever have went any further, and we would have avoided the inevitable fallout and everything that's happened since. So I was just like, instead of thinking about elsewhere, I would like to, our board to learn the lessons from that. And and James is pretty honest. James, I've had several dealings with James and I find him to be a very forthcoming and, and honest person. I think he's very good at his job. I think he, commercially he does a very good job. Whether or not everybody shares that, you know, he's brought a hell of a lot of money to this football club. So I think that he does do a, a good job that way. I think that he would have learned a, a really a lot Chris from that whole situation and the fact that he spoke to you and he, and he gave you such um, honest answers doesn't really surprise me because he is very approachable and that's uh, the kind of guy he is but overall the Australia thing I'm really surprised that nobody nobody went and asked the club and that wasn't broached today it's one of the main things that have happened this year and it was one of the couple of things that I was really surprised didn't get raised Yeah absolutely um, and, and, and I have to say that uh, just spending, you know, the five, ten minutes that I did with, with James today, you know, it's it's actually changed my mind on him a wee bit because I, I do see that he actually does have, he's got the best intentions at heart. Sometimes, obviously, he needs to learn a, a wee lesson or two, but it comes back to the, the, the overall point. He needs to be guided in emotional um, interests of the club, you can't just see the pound signs, the guys, the, the directors, the Rangers fans, the, the, the died in the wheel Rangers fans, they have to direct Bisgrove in, in terms of what we can do and what we can't do. So it's ultimately their failings, um, which was my opinion anyway. But I, I just felt as if Bisgrove was just signing us up to heal uh, everything here, there and everywhere. But after just that short conversation with him today, um, I actually, uh, I, as I said, I find them very honest, very warm, um, very approachable, as you said, and um, I'm probably more willing to you know, um, give him more, uh, cut him some more slack, if you will, than, than I previously was, just, just in that 10-minute conversation with him. So I can totally understand why you're in such good terms with him, because um, obviously you've had far, far more dealings with him. Um, so I think commercially... Uh, my opinion would be now that we're in a pretty good place uh, commercially. Um, I just feel that, as you said, Stevie, lessons need to be learned from the Sydney debacle and maybe sometimes Bisgrove needs to be managed um, a wee bit better with certain things that may impact the, the fans' mood or, or the reputation of the club, which is no fault to Bisgrove because his job is to bring money to the table. Um, it's, the, it's the other guys who probably have to do a little bit better. Just talk to the fans. That was yep. my message at the time, and it remains my message now. If you've got something like this, you know, come to the fans, gauge the fan reaction first, you know, and then go from there. And you've got to listen to that. As I said, I, I still understand it. It's a lot of money. I get it. It doesn't mean I agree with it. I don't agree with it before anybody can react. I, I certainly don't, and I was against that. And I made my position clear to the club on that as well. So I just think next time, I hope there's not a next time in this scenario, but if there's ever a situation where it is like that, speak to the fans, gauge the reaction of the fans and put the fans first. And then you can make the decisions from there. Absolutely, 100%. No, I completely agree with what you said there, Stevie. Um, well, we don't want to you know, dwell on every single question here. Um, I hope that everyone listening has found this informative, interesting, and certainly it's great to get an insight from you, Chris, in terms of what Bisgrove had to say about that Sydney situation as well. Um, yeah, it, it wasn't explosive. Um, I think Stevie, as you've said, you know, that was never going to be the situation. But 
certainly some interesting stuff's come out of this so um it will be interesting to see how things develop from here um i'd like to thank you both for uh for joining us uh stevie first of all thank you so much for for joining us on this one i really no. appreciate it mate guys it's an absolute pleasure and you know first couple of episodes of this have been great so i really hope that you guys go on from strength to strength and i'm sure Chris will get me back on my dulcet tones. You know, always welcome to come back on. Uh, or al- sorry, always welcome for the opportunity to come back on instead of inviting myself back on there. <laughs> but uh, I appreciate it very much, and um, you know, it was a it was a good experience today, and thoroughly appreciate discussing it. Yeah, cheers again, Stevie and uh, Chris. You know, the main man. Uh, you know, how did you enjoy your first AGM today, mate? Um, it was a good time, right? It was, it was good. It was good. It's interesting. The biggest takeaway of ta- uh, that, I've, that I've taken away from today um, is actually not even anything to do with AGM. It's probably the fact that Stevie is the worst passenger you can ever have. <laughs> in that lane, in that lane. No, you're turning left in that lane. But um, apart from that, it's all good. Did did we make it safely? We did. There and back. <laughs> See, like this is why people have been tuning into Saturday at three. You're not going to get these insights anywhere else out in the world of Rangers podcast. Hold on, um, Andrew. I'm still waiting, Chris. Did we make it safely there and back? <laughs> we did. We did. Right, man, but, my but, job is done. Do you do you think that the world's greatest motoring champions got there by themselves? No, no. they didn't. They had a wee side kick. That I was, was us today, mate. I was going to say, I also made it safely to yours and from yours after you left me, so um, it's, it's all good. But That's you, just a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> no, but thanks very much. I enjoyed, I enjoyed today, Stevie. I um, enjoyed the, the experience. Um, and uh, you, you're always welcome to come on, mate, and I certainly will be bringing you on at some point in the very near future um, after we pump Pibs 5-0, because that's what you told me, we're going to pump Pibs 5-0, so, yeah. I said four. There you go. Oh, four. 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 <laughs> four. Right, sorry. But thanks very much, mate. I appreciate no, it. Thanks for the invite, uh, Cheers again, Stevie. Thank you, Chris. Um, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, we're still in the early days, but so far we've had nothing but positive reactions. So thank you very much for that. We'll hope you continue to tune in, like, subscribe, do all that stuff that, you know, professional podcasts tell you to do. Um, Every little helps for us. Um, Thank you for listening and we'll hope to talk to you again soon.